Hey there, welcome to episode number 17 of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Our title is More Motivation Part 2, and I'm excited about what we're going to cover today. Uh, what we're going to look at is we're going to talk about six motivators and have you think about which motivators are your top drivers. Then I'm going to talk about and go into a four-step process for more motivation. We're going to look at how you can double your levels of motivation and energy in 70 days, how to use this information with your employees so they can do the same thing, help you understand potential blind spots so that you can manage them and you can help your employees manage their own. We're going to look at how to use this motivator information to um, with five interview questions that you can ask candidates. And I have a complimentary offer at the end of the podcast. So an opportunity for some of you who are interested can um, get some complimentary uh, information from me, assessments and such. So I'm excited. This is good information. It's one of my favorite topics. This is the area. These six motivators have been so instrumental in my career, my life, and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's get started. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hey there, welcome. Susie Price, Priceless Professional Development. I am your host for the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, and I am a professional facilitator, consultant, and author. And what I do is I help leaders, trainers, and consultants build the energy, commitment, and communication in their organizations. And that's what we talk about and cover here on the podcast. And when you're talking about building energy, commitment, and communication in organizations, it's really smart to understand motivation. What drives people? Do you understand the motivational needs of the people who work for you? Do you understand your own motivational needs? And the tool that I'm going to talk to you about today, Workplace Motivators and the Six Motivators, give you a really strong base of understanding. And once you know this information about yourself and know it with and for other people, things change and shift. So I'm excited to share that with you. Now, when I moved to Atlanta in 1990, I didn't know any of this information, and I was looking for a job. I had moved to Atlanta from my hometown of South Carolina, and at the time, jobs were pretty tight. There was a Gulf War going on, and in addition, I didn't really have a lot of work experience. I'd had a good career start. And I had a good job reference. I had been with NCR Corporation as a human resource professional for four years. So that was in my favor. But because jobs were tight and I was in a big city where I didn't know many people and I didn't have tons of experience, I was sending out lots of resumes and doing a lot of networking. But there were very few openings and I had very few interviews. So it was a difficult time. Can remember being frustrated and in a new city and just wanting to get into a new place and a new role. So a friend of mine who worked for a very large national insurance company arranged an interview for me. Now I had never thought about working in insurance and I didn't know anything about the job, but I was going to have an interview and she had worked on my behalf. So I was thrilled. And I went all out in the interview. I worked to understand the company. I came prepared. And, you know, I really wanted to prove myself. I wanted to get back to work. I wanted to get back to making money. And I wanted to get a, my career back on track. So I landed the job. Yay. But the deal was with this company was that you had to start out. It was an insurance company. As I mentioned, you had to start out in claims or underwriting. So I couldn't start in human resources or training, which is where my real interest was. So I, I had to start in claims and where they placed me was in the fire claims unit. So that means homeowners claims. When you have a burglary, when you have a fire, if you need your roof replaced, if somebody slips and falls or somebody sues you, that's what a fire claims rep did back then or when I was doing it in the 90s. So I, that's what I started. I didn't know anything about it, but they had awesome training. They taught me the contracts. They taught me all about how homes are built and how to write estimates. And I learned of all kinds of new software around how to, I basically learned how to write an estimate to rebuild a home, which was an amazing accomplishment to me at my age and 
how little I knew about home building and such. I learned about how to communicate with people. I learned about how to handle conflict because there's definitely plenty of that between working with the contractors and homeowners who want you to pay something and sometimes you couldn't. I learned about how attorneys work when there were lawsuits. I learned about how to handle conflict. And so my, I had two to three years, I think it was maybe close to three years as a claim rep. That time flew by and I liked it. I liked the practical and independent nature of the role. I mean, it really surprised me, but uh, I really enjoy it. It really suited me. I could, you know, they gave you check writing authority. The the more experience you got, the more you could write the check yourself without having a getting to get approval. That really felt good to me. I liked all the learning. They were excellent at training. Um, they treated people well. You treated policyholders well. And so it was great. I felt in charge of my role. I felt in charge of my time. I had my claims that I worked on. And it was a really, really good fit. And as I later learned on, learned later on, the job rewarded some of my top strengths and motivators. But of course, I hadn't ever outlined what my top strengths and motivators were, so I was surprised it was a really good fit. And and then I did so well in the job, I ended up, I didn't know I was doing so well, but over time it became apparent based on their recognition that I was building a solid reputation within the company, which then made it a snap when I interviewed to become a human resource professional, it, it was, it made sense, you know, so yes, yeah, she knows the role. She'll understand, you know, being an, a human resource manager uh, over this group and in, in this division. And so I was promoted. I went to, to the HR role. I had to go to the corporate office and work and I was super excited. I was back in my role. I felt good about having a good reputation and I was sure it was going to work out. But here's the but, right? Here's the part of the story. I was, Really, within three months of my new role in the corporate offices, I didn't like it at all. I felt so disheartened. At first, you had that honeymoon phase where it's like, oh, there's a lot to learn. And that kept me engaged. But then I found out very soon that the job was really structured. And it was very different from my HR role that I had at NCR Corporation previously. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. It was very routine. And I had to spend a lot of time every day. There were rules and processes to be enforced. And I didn't feel in charge of my role. I didn't feel like I could make independent decisions. I wasn't in time in charge of my time or my workload. There wasn't much flexibility or independent decision-making going on. And before too long, my energy was zapped. I was so bummed out because I thought, what is wrong? But I, I knew I couldn't, couldn't not, not acknowledge that I felt tired and irritated and waking up every day. I definitely was not waking up eager. Every waking up every day felt like a chore. And I was, I couldn't understand it. You know, it's the same company that I really enjoyed as a fire claims representative. It was my profession. That's what I'm here to do. Human resources and training, but I was miserable. So I came to the realization that I couldn't deny that those feelings and eventually I made a change. And it was a really big deal at the time at that company in that culture at that time because people didn't really leave. And because I had been told I could advance with the company with ease and move up through the ranks and I had done good work and they liked what I was doing in HR, it was kind of a big shakeup. Not like that I was that important, but at the time I remember it being a big deal and a lot of buzz about it. And, um, I had a colleague pull me aside one time and say, at, you know, during all of that, what are you doing? You have a mate here. I don't understand. Why would you leave? And they weren't bad questions because I wasn't really sure either. Uh, I wondered, you know, during that time and later on for a long time, I wondered, you know, about this, what I perceived as a failure in that role with a good company. And sometimes I judge myself for making the change and think, okay, there's probably something wrong with me. <laughs> you know, why did I have to leave? And, you know, maybe I'm a loser for not following through and just not being tough and not sticking with it. I mean, they really liked me and I had it made. And I really wondered why some people had excelled in that role. Many, I have a good friend who's still there today and she does a great job. She's a great person and we're good friends, but I couldn't stay there. And it was hard for me. And why, why do other people excel there? Why, why couldn't I? And so 
The great thing is, is I found answers to those questions when I discovered and started applying the motivation research to my life that led to the work I do today as a facilitator, consultant, assessment analyst, and that I've been doing for in my own business now for 12 years. So over, over the years, I've used this, this information, this research, this knowledge to help many thousands of professionals hire and motivate and lead their teams. Through this information, I share it on my website. I share it now in this podcast. I share it when I'm doing coaching and assessment debriefs in my workshops, in my books. And so what I want to do today on this podcast is share some of this research with you so that you can benefit from it too. And I'd like to talk about this idea of improving your own energy and motivation, why that job was not a fit for me and how you can understand about fit when the, you know, making sure that the job matches the, what the job rewards matches the person's motivations. And so we're going to look at understanding your own stressors. So there are things that were happening in that human resource role at this insurance company that were stressors for me and not stressors for other people. And we're going to talk about that and help you use this information, like I said, as we started off the show, to make better hires, to uh, increase your own motivation, and help your team increase their motivation. So let's go into this idea of this research, and let's talk a little bit about what the motivators are all about. And there's assessment assessment that they're tied to called the Workplace Motivators Assessment. So I want to tell you about that. You don't have to use the assessment to get benefit from this. And so I'll show you, share with you some resources that um, you can tap into that don't have to do with doing an assessment if assessments are not your thing. I think just knowing about the six motivators and knowing about this information will help you regardless of whether you use an assessment. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to offer some complimentary assessments to you at the end um, to a couple people who decide to uh, sign up. So I'll, I'll share that with you at the end. Basically, what is the workplace motivators assessment and what are these motivators? So there are six motivators. And when you understand them through the use of the assessment or through the descriptors I'm going to share with you right now or in a minute, um, basically what they reveal, it reveals what puts gas in your tank. So it reveals what gives you energy. It reveals something you can't really see, but you feel something other people can't really see, but you personally can feel. And so usually the disc disc the disc assessment a lot of people are familiar with that that's a communication style assessment that measures what people see so when you take a disc assessment you can guess what people's communication style is and start using that right away the workplace motivators is more subtle because it's not seen but they drive your behavior and so i use the disc and workplace motivators assessment they're combined um so it reveals you know, someone's style, how they like to communicate and what drives them, what puts gas in their tank. And I use that in team building. I use it in training. So we leadership training, sales training, when I'm helping interviewers for hiring, I use it. And then actually for actual hiring of candidates. So the workplace motivators assessment has a long history. It was developed in the early 1900s and it dates back to a German psychologist who wrote a publication called Types of Men. And it was the first time that we have a record of identifying six types of attitudes, which now we call motivators or driving forces. So uh, Spranger, who is the German psychologist, first laid that research out. Then another psychologist grabbed Spranger's work and he created the first assessment. He called it a values assessment. So attitude, values, it's what are you interested in? And then my assessment vendor, TTI, I've been more a uh, value-added associate for them since 2005. They took all of that work and develop it, developed this workplace motivators assessment that has been online since 1998. Now, TTI is famous for research and evolving information. And so they have evolved the assessment over the years and it's continually changing and um, being updated with new and updated information. But that's kind of the history of the workplace motivators assessment. And it explains to you basically your results around the assessment, why you feel energized around certain activities and stressed out about others, why some people bug you, why you're just not on the same track with them. You have different motivators. You have different interests. You value things differently. And why some people are just easy to be around. 
Um, it, it, it tells you why you hated a job that everybody else thought you should be happy in. So that was my, when I first got my workplace motivators assessment results, it was like light bulb all over the place. And especially around that position with the, with the insurance company, you know, so it explained that it was the job in the human resource role was not a fit, um, for me. And so it, it gives you a lot of information around that. And it, basically tells you where to focus your time and intention so that you it it reveals basically when do you feel most on purpose what's the best what's the thing that you puts gas in your tank basically and so the way i look at it is when you get your motivated results what it helps you do is just realize that you have specific strengths and worldviews that if you know about them you can use them as your own guide to find happiness and more energy and they're they're influenced by nature so it's a nature nurture thing you're born with certain interests talents and drives and they're nurtured by your family environment either you do the opposite of what your family's doing or you you do a lot of what your family does and so that's kind of a little bit of the history of the motivators and how they're used let's go into now what the six motivators are. And I'm going to start with an example. And it is, say you have, it's kind of, it'll be a visual that explains the six motivators. Say you have a team of six professionals and each person represents one of the six motivators, which I'm going to go into detail in a minute and tell you what each one of them are. But this team, the team you're on, that has the six people who want, represent one of the motivators is going to successfully bring to market a new team building workshop called the Talent Tracker Workshop. They're going to take it to the workplace and into the market. So here are some of the job assessments that you would, or job assignments that you would use uh, based on each person's motivators. So I'm not using the real name of the motivators. I'm using descriptors so it'll be easy for you to focus on what each motivator stands for. But as you listen to the work assignments for this Talent Tracker Workshop product that you're getting ready to roll out. Listen to the descriptors and the kind of thing and think about the kind of things that naturally energize you and fill up your gas tank and try to think about which one of these that Susie's describing and these six motivators. What do you, what do you think are your top two? Okay. So you're on the team for the, there's a person on the team who's very strong in the learner intellectual motivator. This person. She's going to do research. She's going to look at market trends, and she's actually become going to become trained in the workshop. She's going to become certified in the assessment so she can train other people to teach the class. She's going to focus on gathering all the necessary information and doing the research. So that's the learner intellectual on this team as they get ready to roll out the new talent tracker workshop. And some examples of people uh, who would be in the learner intellectual motivator field would be Einstein, of course, professors, journalists, they're always researching. And so in this particular situation, she's going to research all the information for the workshop. So there's a person on the team who is very strong in the motivator called the business person or the resourceful motivator. So he's going to focus on sales and he's going to figure out what the budget should be. And 82% of all top salespeople have the high business person resourceful motivator. So what he's going to do, he's going to work long and hard for economic return. He's going to want to reduce waste. That's why it's called the business person. I want to get results, kind of the capitalist. And he's going to focus on how to maximize the return on investment. So that's the part of the business or the rollout of the team for the talent tracker workshop that this person would focus on. Some famous people, investors, salespeople, Donald Trump, anybody who's always talking about their business and very focused on the bottom line is the business person resourceful motivator. So you've got another person, this is the third motivator, who has very strong scores in the serving others altruistic motivator. So she's going to be assigned to coach the people who completed the assessment before and after each workshop. She's also going to mentor new trainers and coaches and mentor um, people when they are around the country teaching and making sure their needs and interests are taken care of. And that's the serving others altruistic motivator, loves to serve and, and, and coach and mentor. And some famous examples of that, people who would have that strong motivator would be Mother Teresa, Princess Diana, coaches, counselors, chaplains. Okay, so we're going into the fourth motivator. This is the person who has very strong scores in the balance seeker harmonious motivator. 
he's going to focus on using his interests and talents in the design to make sure that the marketing materials look and feel just right. He's going to oversee how the PowerPoint slides and workbooks look. He's going to ensure that you just have just the right look, a pleasing aesthetic. He's going to make sure that we pick the right photographs of the trainers and we get those on the website and just make sure that the look and feel is exactly right. And some famous people who are also balance seeker, harmonious, and that's one of their top motivators, Martha Stewart. Think about how she's always designing and um, making the presentation of things look really well. Walt Disney, architects, um, marketing folks who focus on the design aspect, landscapers. So I've gone through four motivators. These will be listed in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation to the number two and more motivation is lowercase and it's all one word more motivation to. So let's go to the fifth person for the person who has very strong scores in the power player commanding motivator. She's going to be the public image and face of the, of this new talent tracker leadership training program. So she's going to go out and make speeches to groups and attend networking meetings all over the country to promote the material She's going to have some videos on the website that she presents so that people, when they click on the material, can learn about it. She's going to help lead the team and help stay focused on, you know, new ideas, getting visibility and advancing her own and the team's image. So a lot of people who are high individualistic are also professional speakers, politicians, entrepreneurs, and in sales roles where there's a lot of networking and visibility needed. That's the power player commanding motivator. And then lastly, we're going to go into the sixth one. This is for the person who has very strong scores in the principled process and order keeper motivator. So he's going to drive the efforts for standing standard operating procedures, the SOPs, so that all the employees on the team are following the procedures and that make sure that the rollout, the program, and how it's taught follows the process. He's going to monitor and enforce the rules to ensure that the traditions of the company stay strong. He's also going to oversee that budget that the business person put together. And he's going to make sure that everybody's following the budgetary guidelines because people will be traveling and turning in expense reports. So the principled process order keeper motivator will do those things. And some famous people who are in the that area or have that motivator, you see people in the ministry. They have a process and order that they want to keep, and they're very principled policemen, CFOs. They want to enforce the structure. So that is the six motivators. And I'm going to come back to them as we go through stressors and blind spots. You'll get to hear all those names again. And again, they're in the show notes, slash more motivation and the number two, and that's all one word. So you can kind of look at those. Which motivators to you stand out? And say, okay, that's, I'm probably that. I'm, I'm probably the process and order keeper that I love SOPs. So, and, and how strong you, how clear you'll be on yours depends on how strong it is for you. So there's different levels of intensity there. Um, as we look at the assessment, uh, results for people. So if we go through that overview and you go back to my story where I was so happy as a fire claims rep and so miserable in corporate, being the human resource professional or manager. Well, my results are I'm very high on the intellectual learner motivator. So I love to learn. And I'm really, I scored real, I talked about intensity just a minute ago. I score really strong on that. So it's really important to me that I'm always learning. And intellectual doesn't mean that I'm so smart. It just means I love to knowledge and I want to know things and I want to learn things and I want conferences and I want you know, when I was in the fire claim rep role, I had so much to learn and it was a very uh, intense learning process. So my second motivator, your top two usually are what drive you. My second motivator is the business person. And um, that is the person who is uh, making sure that uh, the bottom line is being met, met and there's very resourceful. So it's all about making money and making sure that there is no waste of time. And then my third motivator is also kind of strong, and that's the commanding, where you kind of get to be in charge of your own destiny. You get to manage your time. You get to manage, you know, how you spend your day, and you don't waste a lot of time. And so the claims job really did match that. My lowest motivator, and it scores really low, is the process and order keeper. 
And so I scored so low on my process and order keeper, it, I'm indifferent. And so when it comes to rules and processes, I'm pretty receptive. I want new ways to create tasks and routines. And I want to set my own guidelines. And that was definitely not a match to the human resource role. So that role at the corporate office highly rewarded people who are process and order keepers, who likes um, the, the principled piece of we have a system, everyone must follow it. And that's not a, that's not my top motivator. So there was nothing wrong with the job. It's perfect. And there are people there who are thriving, who are doing a great job. And there's nothing wrong with me. I do not need to become the process and order keeper. The motivators generally don't change. Sometimes the order of them will change a little bit. But remember, I said it's nature nurture. You came in with these drivers, these strengths. And so we just weren't a fit. So what the job rewarded in the human resource role was not a fit to what my top motivators are. And so that's the power of knowing what your motivators are. You can make better decisions when you're looking at different roles and opportunities, and you can make better decisions when you're hiring people and you can look for these motivators. So your top two motivators, according to the assessment, or are your top two strengths and preferences, and they're going to be where you thrive. So um, that's the power of motivators. And there are four questions. This is a quote from the founder of a science that I get involved in with my assessments called axiology. And he asked these questions back in 1960. And he said, why am I here? What am I here for in this world? Why do I work for this organization? What can this organization do to help me fulfill my meaning in the world? How can I help this organization help me fulfill my meaning in this world? Isn't that, aren't those questions interesting? I'll have them in the show notes, but he asked those questions and said, hey, if you're running an organization, you need to answer this. You need to help your people answer this. Why do I work here? What? How can this organization help me fulfill my meaning in the world? How can I help this organization help me fulfill my meaning in the world? We all have on our foreheads the what's in it for me. So when we can understand what someone's drivers are and we can tap into that, then we can capture their energy and their motivation. So if, for example, in that HR role, there's not a lot. I mean, they're, they were pretty structured and that's the way it was. But if they had, if there had been some way at that time for them to understand my high theoretical, every time they had a project that needed to be researched and there needed to be a product expert in it, they could have sent me to that. That would have at least helped. And, uh, if I had known, I would have probably not interviewed for that position and would have realized the, the challenge there. So we're all, thinking about what are we here for in the world and the motivators, understanding those six motivators and understanding that there are some that are applicable to you. And that if you use them, uh, life is better, uh, helps you answer those questions. It's really powerful. So what's interesting about the motivators too, is that one result is not better than the other. In workshops, people will say, gosh, I I scored a low social altruistic. Does that mean I don't care about people? No, this is not a measure of ability. This is what puts gas in your tank. It's not measuring skill or your actions. It just says, so somebody's high social altruistic, they're going to give freely of their time to service coach, serve coach and mentor. If someone's low in social altruistic, well, they're going to be more intentional about when they give. And it's just for that person, they serve other places. You wouldn't say to Einstein, you need to go be Mother Teresa. You want Mother Teresa doing Mother Teresa stuff and you want Einstein doing Einstein stuff. So they're not good or bad. They're really gender neutral, culture neutral, ethics neutral. In this assessment, all of these motivators have value and can add value to the workplace and to the world. So they're also not visible. So usually you you take a disc assessment immediately. You can see that and you can see other people. For the motivators, you kind of need to let it settle in a little bit to understand, you know, what your top motivators are. And we're going to talk about how a four-step process for using the motivators uh, to your benefit. But uh, it's not as, uh, it's a little bit more subtle because it's what puts gas in your tank. It's not what people could see so much. Okay, so... You'll, you'll not be energized if you, if you can't do your top two motivators. And you'll probably experience stress and lose motivation if you can't use your top two. So that is, I see it again and again and again in my work. 
I see people who are not a fit to the role and then their manager wants them to be coached and we work through it. And that's what we're going to go through now is four steps that you can use to take this motivation information to have more motivation in your in your world. And uh, let's go through those now. There's an acronym and it's M-O-R-E. So that's why this episode is called More Motivation Number Two, which is where the show notes are. I'll mention that real quick. Pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation to the number two. So let's look at these four steps. M-O-R-E. In episode number two of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, I cover the first two steps. So if you want to listen to that, it's more, you can look at the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation, no number at the end. And that'll give you um, that episode where I talk about uh, the M and the O of this four-step process. And the M stands for motivators and strengths matter. And just becoming to the under, coming to the understanding that using your motivators makes a difference in the workplace. And there's all kinds of research that I talk about in that podcast. But basically the biggest thing is, is if people are using their strengths and their motivators at work, they're six to- times more likely to be engaged in their work. And they're three times more likely to report that they have an excellent quality of life. Makes sense. We like to do what we like to do. We like to do what we're good at. And what we're good at are our top strengths and our top motivators. I'm good at research. I'm good at being the business person. So when I get to do that, I thrive. So I'm more engaged. I'm more committed. And my life is better. And another research from the Gallup organization they studied said that if you if leaders manage their people based on strengths, which would be their top motivators, as well as, you know, their work experience strengths and all the strengths in that category, those leaders are 86% more successful than leaders who don't manage their team based on strengths. So those are big statistics and information. I go into more detail at more motivation, um, the pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation. You can kind of learn more about that step. So the first step for motivation is the reminder about using your strengths every day and that they matter. So, uh, so it's motivators and strengths matter is what the M is. The second step is to observe, and that is begin observing your actions and your energy and start creating your own top list of what your top strengths are. A lot of people aren't able to list their strengths, and because we can't list them, they don't do them on the job every day. So you want to figure out what your top strengths are and get really good at spending your time there. And you can't do more of something you're fuzzy about. So you need to have your own list. Assessments can be a piece of that process. If you don't want to do assessments, just pay attention to when am I compelled to take action? Uh, Observe and list your top strengths and start using them every day. And as I mentioned earlier, we have the energy to do what we want to do. We never have the energy to do what we don't want to do. And we always want to do our strengths and motivators. So knowing what they are is very, very important. So when you think about that statement about having the energy to do what we want to do, it just makes sense to use this in hiring, doesn't it? And I'm sure you work with someone who had the experience to do the job. I could do that HR job at the insurance company, but I didn't have any motivation to do it. I didn't want to do it. And if you think about when people are let go, a lot of times they're let go because there's a lack of match between how they communicate or their level of motivation and not so much about background and experience. And uh, I heard the Georgia Labor Commissioner, Mark Butler, talk about some research he did. And he said that 69% of the people who lose their job lose it due to lack of personal skills. They can't manage their time. They're not motivated, communication. So we should be looking at that um, when we're hiring. And so we're really good at matching background and experience to the job, but we need to get good at matching strengths and motivators to the job and realize that that's as important, if probably more important than just background and experience. So we've got to get away from the idea that anybody can be trained to do any job. They can't. I mean, they can, but they're not going to do it long term if it's not a fit. If the job doesn't reward what drives them, people bring who they are to the job. 
and who they are is not only their background and experience, but their natural style, strengths, and motivators. And I go into a lot of detail around how to create fit in my book, How to Hire Superior Performers. And I basically break down the whole process. I've got an eight-step process. It's pretty quick, but it will help you focus on fit. And it helps you do this without having to use any kind of assessment or anything, but it really will help you figure out what someone's motivators are, what their strengths are, and what the job needs. And so if you want to look at the book, it's at pricelessprofessional.com slash hire book, H-I-R-E-B-O-O-K, all one word. And then I also have hiring assessments. So you can look at what I share about the hiring assessments at pricelessprofessional.com slash hiring assessment. And they'll give you some detail about that process. I use it a process called Trimetrics HD, where we benchmark the job and then we measure candidates to see if they're fit for that benchmark. We give interview questions and more. But without the book and without the hiring assessment, how can you use this motivator information, this understanding that people, nature and nurture have natural drivers, things that are going to give them energy. And if they focus there, they're going to, they're going to stay motivated. Well, I've got five questions that I suggest you ask candidates. And I'm going to read those questions to you and I'll have them in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation two. And you can use these questions. You don't even have to have an assessment. And what you'll do when you ask these questions is listen for their answers. What they share, does it match what your culture is? Because basically what you're talking about is someone being a match for the culture. At the HR professional job, I was not a match for that culture at that location in that position. So here are the questions. There are five of them. One, what jobs have you enjoyed the most? Why? Please share specific examples of what you enjoyed. What jobs have you enjoyed the least? Why? Please share specific examples of what you disliked. Number three, give specific examples of past environments you worked best in. Number four, give specific examples of past environments that did not work well for you. Number five, what kind of responsibilities would you like to avoid in your next job? Why? So can you see how if you ask those questions, how it would lean into, reveal, motivators, so, you know, I, I can think of myself, if I answer those questions, it, I'd be talking about learning. I'd be talking about uh, running the business, being in charge. Um, and I would describe, you know, the traditional environment that I didn't work so well in where there was process and you had to routine. So you would start, it would start to reveal what somebody's top motivators are. And so that is a great start in interviewing and hiring so that you are matching people to to the rewards of the job so you can ensure or at least move towards greater motivation, long-term interest. It's really powerful. It, they reveal what people like and what they feel good about, and you want those matches. So, so far we've covered specific research around why motivators and strengths matter. That's step one in the four process, motivators and strengths matter. We've talked a little bit about observe and list your own top motivators. And I've given you some interview questions you can use on an interview. And then you can go listen to the podcast. I've got actual steps on observe and list at uh, pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivation. You can read it in the show notes. So let's go to step number three of the M-O-R-E, more motivation process. And that begins with the letter R and it's refuel daily and check your blind spots. You see, I use a lot of car stuff here, don't I? So if your top motivators put gas in your tank, then your it'd be smart to refuel daily, right? So you've got to be determined to use your top strengths and motivators every day. And, uh, you know, you don't need to get a new life or a new job necessarily, but you'll want to look for ways to use what drives you a little more every day because small efforts that you take add up. Let me demonstrate this by asking you to select between two options. So these are really good options. Option one, which option are you going to pick? I'm going to give you $3 million in cash this very instant. Option two, you are going to get a single penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days. Which did you pick? 
Option one, three million. Option two, a single penny that doubles in value. Well, if you chose option two, the penny, you're going to be very happy with yourself. Because on day 31, you're going to have, get this, $10,737,418.24. That's over three times more than option one, the three million in cash. That is the magic, all you investors out there know this, of compounding. It's impressive, isn't it? And we understand that around money. We're impressed by it. But have you ever thought about how that same compounding magic can also be applied to areas of your life? You can see how the compounding of a penny amount was reached and see many examples about it in the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. But the bottom line is you can gain huge rewards and productivity and motivation from ongoing small but smart choices. So you take 15 minutes a day to use your strengths and motivators more. 15 minutes a day, what's that? 1% of your day. And your efforts are going to add up. You do this for 1% a day, and in 70 days, your motivation is going to be twice improved. So I talked about in the earlier, I said, how are you going to improve your motivation in 70 days? Double it. Well, you're going to 1% a day, you're going to spend 15 minutes a day doing your top motivators. Do something around your top motivators. And so that is what the refuel daily part of the four-step process is in this um, getting more motivation. So they can be small, but they can make a big difference. So let's look at each of the motivators. So I'm going to go through the six again, so you're going to get to hear the names of them again. We're going to look at stressors for each one of the six motivators and then some ideas on actions you could take for your 1% a day. So the intellectual, which is the learner, the stressor, what do you guess it would be? Not being able to learn, inability to learn, inability to build their expert status. If people, if there's a lot of emotional subjective experiences with no rational justification, they can't discover the truth or, or can't get to know about a topic, they are stressed. So some of, and I'm a good one to talk about this one. So some of the things that help build my energy and motivation as a high intellectual slash learner is learning new technology, getting certifications. If I want a book, I buy it. I go to workshops. I create workshops. I buy books. I get certifications. Uh, as my business person, which is the next one, I, I work with no apologies. So you basically, with the intellectual learner, those are a few ideas of things you could do around your 1% a day. Let's go into the business person who is the, that's the second motivator, business person slash someone who's resourceful. So what's the stressor? Wasted resources, wasted time, wasted material, investments with inadequate or no return, lack of efficiency. So what could you do with your 1% a day? You could help others start businesses. I'm just going through things that I'm aware of, what I've seen other people do. You could, at meetings, be the person in charge, the facilitator who has the agenda and the timer so that time isn't wasted when you're in meetings. You could spend time learning about investments. You could take business courses. You could become part of business groups. You can work more with no apologies, just understanding these are my talents. This is how I give to the world through my work. So let's go to the third one, altruistic service. What is a stressor for someone who is very altruistic, a good coach or mentor? Too much emphasis on bottom line results can be a stressor for this top motivator. Decisions and actions that are insensitive to people. People are who are hurting or in pain in any way. They have a hard time. They're so empathetic that they have a hard time tuning that out. So how could you help with that? You wouldn't want to tune it out. You'd want to help out at a nonprofit on the weekend. You'd want to help out and serve others at work. You want to coach and mentor others. How can you be supportive? How can you be of service? You could be a volunteer chaplain. There's all kinds of ways to do more of the social altruistic service uh, motivator. Uh, 1% a day. 1% a day, remember, in 70 days, you're twice improved. Okay, let's go to the fourth motivator. This is the balance and harmony seeker, the harmonious motivator. The things that stress this motivator out, people who have this as a top motivator, chaos and disturbance around them, lack of work-life balance, not enough quiet time or rest, too much objective focus. They don't have the ability to express their feelings. 
So what are some activities that you could take if that's your top motivator? Get out in nature. Go to art shows and museums. Uh, travel. Work in the yard. In your downtime. I have a colleague who is very high aesthetic, and she'll send me a text of a picture of a mandala drawing that she's done where you color it in with the markers that helps her relax. It's creating beauty. Find balance. Rest. 1% a day and in 70 days you're twice improved. That's the balance and harmonious. The commanding power player. What are their stressors? Actual or perceived diminishing loss of power, inability to advance, lack of respect for position, and chain of command. So what helps a commanding power player? Say your position at this time is at work isn't rewarding that. So what about in your off time or your time outside of work? You become an officer in an association that's important to your uh, business or your field or something you're interested in. You become one of the head people in your homeowners group. You do some entrepreneurial work on the side. Um, you read Rob Report or other magazines that have the best and the finest. So it's all about the best and leading. Let's go to the last motivator, the process and order keeper. Stressors. Close-mindedness by others. Lack of direction, order, or structure. Opposition to their beliefs. So what's something that uh, this motivator somebody who has the high process and order keeper motivator, keep the, the standard operating procedures, create them, get the, get, uh, be around groups that support your beliefs, be a volunteer fireman, keep order in meetings, spend lots of time with your family. So that's just a few ideas about how you can refuel daily. And if you actually do ever do the workplace motivator assessment, there's lots of ideas in there and information around when you thrive and um, how to use your motivator more. Uh, so this step is refuel daily, but it also says, hey, check your blind spots. So that's the second part of this step. And it's it's your blind spots. What's a blind spot when you're driving? That's something everybody else can see, but you can't, right? So how what does that have to do with motivation? Well, it points to another advantage to observing and knowing what your top motivation strengths are um, because they can become so second nature to you, you might not even realize you're overusing them. Uh, uh, French writers quote, any virtue carried to an extreme can become a crime. I like that. Any virtue carried to an extreme can become a crime. So that's what blind spots are. We've kind of overdone it. We're so into being the commanding power player that we overdo it. We're so into being the intellectual learner that we overdo it. Um, so, And that quote is so right. Uh, if we overdo our strengths, they become a blind spot, and it can be a great development opportunity. And we all have these. So let's look at some of the blind spots. I'm going to have an opportunity now for you to hear about the motivators again. The intellectual, here's a blind spot for the intellectual, may put the pursuit of knowledge above their own health and safety. So practical matters can be neglected and ignored. And that's true. I've seen that. I was surprised to do that. I can get so caught up in learning that I, I don't do it now. It's not a blind spot anymore. But I know earlier on in my life, I did. Business person, here's a blind spot. They may become a workaholic. They're willing to give, but they always want something in return. So being aware of that when you're a salesperson, can I just give to give this time? Can I make this not be a blind spot for me? Social altruistic and service person, they may create lose-win relationships. They focus only on the benefit to other people, so they're the they lose. Um, and they also may get so caught up in a cause that they could uh, lead lead to harmful behavior to themselves or to other people. Another blind spot for uh, blind spots for another of the motivators. The balanced and harmonious person. They may function outside of reality and struggle with everyday reality. And they may strive excessively for their perception of perfection and beauty. So get caught up in that. That could become a blind spot. The commanding power player, they may position themselves so more so that they may be more important or see themselves as more important for others. They can really desire for focus and power, or excuse me, fo over-focus on power for themselves. And that can be a blind spot. For the process and order keeper, they might be willing to, quote unquote, die for their processes. So they're going to be really strong and sometimes can be closed minded and judgmental towards other viewpoints or too rigid about the processes and rules. No, we cannot change these. 
So blind spots are to the quote, any virtue carried to an extreme can become a crime. And so when we don't know what our motivators are and we're just doing them, we can do some of those things in the blind spots. And someone who knows what their strengths and motivators are and manage them looks very different from someone who does not know what their strengths and motivators are. So that is the third step in the more motivation process. Refuel daily, check blind spots. So as we come to the end here, we're going to go into the last step of the more motivation process, and that is to embrace differences. That can be tricky because it's natural to think what you do well and what you care about is the best way to do things. So it's funny when I break out groups of people and their top motivators in a workshop for an exercise around how each motivator helps and hinders the team. Each group takes great pride, and they should, in their top motivators. So they make a list and a flip chart. You know, here's how the the uh, learner intellectual helps the team. Here's how the business person, resourceful person, helps the team. And as they're making their list, they're just like, yeah, this is the best. We're most important. And they are the best, and they are very important. So it's fun to see people feeling great about who they are and, you know, why their motivators or their interests matter. But... That pride or that kind of lack of awareness of what the other motivators and how they other motivators are and how they add value can lead to a little bit of unintentional judgment and it can create conflict, it, it, especially in the motivators, because it's very personal and it's what puts gas in your tank. So you just think, well, it's important to me, so it should be important to you. I'm right and you're wrong if it's not important to you. So here's an example of this. It was interesting because I was at a national conference for consultants, people who all know these motivators, right? They're all facilitators and colleagues of mine through TTI. And I, it was a sales skills workshop you know, for consultants. How do you sell? And great teacher in front of the room. His name, I'll call him Sammy the Sales Guy. Awesome guy. Really good at what he does. Great teacher. And I happen to know what his top motivators are. He's the uh, business person resourceful. No surprise there. As I, as I mentioned earlier, 82% of all top salespeople are the business person resourceful motivators. They're number one. His number two was the power player commander. So in front of the room, lots of charisma, fun to watch, you know, uh, quite the hero in business. And... um he starts talking about, true to his own motivators, he's talking about 150 of us. He he made some comments, and, and again, he's trained in this. And he, he was, without meaning to, judging other motivators. But he, he basically was saying, now, you can't just be coaching people one-to-one and make any money. You shouldn't be coaching. Group coaching is where it's at. I mean, coaching one-to-one, that's heavy lifting for way too little gain. So it was it was endearing in my mind because he's just doing his motivators, but that's what we do. So in in his you know sitting in that room of 150 consultants, I guarantee you there were high social uh, altruistic service people in that room. And he's talking from his motivator, and he's the teacher, so he gets to say what he wants to say. But they were true to his top motivators, and he's a great guy. And I'm sure he had no intentions of being judgmental. But his comments did imply that the strengths and motivators that were different from his, the people who had them differently or who were in the service side of the motivator, should ignore their natural self and their natural interests and do what he does. Do you get that? That happens all the time. Without meaning to people who are coaching you, people who are training you, are talking from their perspective. So... It was interesting to me that, and I just see it a lot now too, and it's so interesting to me as a coach and a consultant for me to be able to look at someone whose motivators are very different from mine and to appreciate them and not try to make them be me because I believe that this particular interest is the most important interest. Yes, it is the most important for me, 
but it's not for you. So let's look at what interests you and what's important to you. And if Sammy, the sales guy, were on the same team day in, day out with someone whose motivator was high altruistic and service oriented, they could really be at odds with each other. It's deeper than the style differences. It's because it's unseen. It's what puts gas in your tank. It's nature nurture. You came in with it. So you hold it very, very tightly, oftentimes without awareness. Um, and it can become a blind spot. And if you're not embracing the different motivators, you, you have judgment and you can have conflict real conflict. I value something different so we can never be on the same page, but you can. And there's a a fun quote. uh, I think it came with a funny picture, but it said, uh, one person's crazy is another person's refreshing. One person's crazy is another person's refreshing. So me doing a podcast and doing research and spending all day Sunday to do something like this, that's crazy to somebody who's not high intellectual learner. It is refreshing for me. Sales guy, Sammy sales guy, it's crazy to do one-on-one coaching. That's heavy lifting, man, to altruistic service. It's refreshing. So it just changes your world when you know this information. And when you know your own and other people's motivation and strengths, you can really begin to, at a meaningful level, embrace differences. So here's a few uh, suggestions for this step, embracing differences. Embrace the research, basically. Embrace your research. Listen to the sound of your own voice, is a quote from a golfer. She says, you know, rise above the doubt and judgment, and you can see forever. So listen to, use the motivator's research to pay attention to, hey, I need to use my strengths, and I need to allow people to use their strengths, and I'll tune into what my strengths are, and I'll let them drive my behavior, and I won't compare myself to other people's strengths because those aren't mine. I know what mine are. So embrace that research and embrace the power of using your strengths. Observe and list your strengths. So when you know what your own strengths are, it's so much easier to embrace differences. So find out what your motivators and strengths are. Embrace them. And then you're going to be able to embrace the differences. It's so much easier. As a leader, hire people who are a match to the job so that you create uh, a stronger commitment to the work and you help people pay attention to their strengths and help them use them as much as possible. So you have less push and pull in a job if the job rewards someone else's, someone's motivators and strengths. So create a culture of that within your organization. We do it through team building. We do it through awareness of, oh, you're really good at this. And as soon as team members can kind of label what the different motivators are, it becomes a culture of we embrace our differences at an even deeper level than just embracing communication style. And then uh, you can use a common language for that, too. I mean, so having the motivator language helps people verbalize their drivers. And you have to kind of make it a process. It's not just a two-hour team building session. It's, you know, conversation about it. You start actually taking action as the leader around motivators, bring it up again and again so it actually becomes part of your culture. There's one organization that I work with that they talk motivators. They talk the language of the assessments, it's a part of their culture in their hiring and in their communication and in their leadership. And that has taken years for them to build that. But you can do it. And using some of these tools or there's other great tools on the market there, I'm just familiar with the ones I use, but where it becomes part of the language of the organization. And I guess lastly, to remember that not all conflict is bad. So, you know, we may be embracing differences, but we have a difference. The altruistic person is like, we need to serve the people. And the business resourceful person said, well, we can't spend that money. So it can really be good conversation. Having the conflict, having that if you trust each other enough to have the tough discussions, then you're probably going to come out with a better solution than if you had five business resourceful people in the room and no social altruistic representing that piece of the puzzle. So you can make good decisions But you only will do that if you allow conflict, you allow uh, the tough conversations and you, you, you allow those to happen so that people can share their point of view. So that's some thoughts around embracing differences. 
it's it's a process doesn't happen overnight when you're embracing differences and it is a reminder not to judge yourself for having different interests from others and to not judge others for uh having differences from your interests pushing against the difference is usually the root cause of unproductive personal and professional conflict you're going to reach for the productive conflict or discussions so whew, we've covered a lot today talked about knowing and using your strengths building your own sense of well-being by using the four steps and the more motivation process or method and i'm very passionate about the topic i hope you can tell that and if you listen to this today and you've thought hey i'd like to know more about that uh for yourself or in leadership or in hiring i've got an opportunity i mentioned that i was going to do something complimentary um so what i'm going to do is i'm inviting you to schedule a complimentary consultation with me and what we'll do during the consultation is we'll talk about what you want to accomplish and we'll see if any of the services i have could help you and we'll determine if i'm the right consultant for you if you're trying to improve motivation or hiring or maybe i'm not a good match for you and i'll be able to refer you to someone else or help you decide you know what your next steps are but it's a free complimentary consultation it's over the phone and there's no obligation so and i'm really i'm really really willing to talk to any of you who are really interested and i promise that you're going to walk away with informative information we'll have a great discussion which will be my pleasure to get to know you and you're going to walk away with something of value so if that interests you you can email me at susie s u z i e at pricelessprofessional.com and then the special offer that i'm going to make the complimentary consultations are always available so you can contact me but the special offer in conjunction with this podcast is the first three people who email me and mention the podcast they're going to get their their they can get two disc workplace motivator talent assessment coaching reports they're like 40 page reports they're completed online um you can get two of those so you could do one for yourself and, and an employee or uh your spouse or one of your children or whatever you get to choose how you want to use those two assessments and I'll give you access I have a private self-study coaching tools page that has a debrief video and it's got memory jogger cards and just tons of tons of free resources that go with the assessment so you can either get the two disc and workplace motivator assessments 42 page report it's a coaching report it takes you about uh maybe 20 minutes to complete online so it's not long to complete but gets you a lot of detail or i will do one of the trimetrics candidate assessments we talked about you know how you can match what the job rewards to what the candidate is naturally interested in well this assessment would measure that and i will compare it there that your candidate's results to a national benchmark all the information is eeoc compliant and um validated and researched and I will give you a written debrief with uh for your candidate around you know where you might want to follow up. I won't tell you yes or no don't do or don't hire, but I will talk about the level of risk on a scale of 1 to 5, how much risk there might be based on the match to the benchmark. So call me for or email me for a complimentary consultation and you can get one of those two options. The talent insight which is the disc and workplace motivators coaching report for two people or a candidate assessment compared to a benchmark. So I'm going to do that for the first three people who email me. This podcast is being recorded on Sunday, um October 1st of October. So just to give you an idea of 2015 depending on when you listen to this, but my email address is susie@pricelessprofessional. So we're going to close today. I just want to want to give you some reminders of uh things you can do create your own list of your top strengths and motivators and begin using them every day you don't have to have an assessment start paying attention to what am i really good at what do people tell me i'm good at how when do i feel most energized what puts gas in my tank and then really you'll be amazed on how you how much better you feel about your day and it doesn't take huge effort 1% a day and in 70 days you're twice improved which is amazing Keep in mind that everybody can't excel at any job. Got a lot of great people, a lot of smart people, but people bring who they are to the job. 
And that's not all, that's not just their background and experience. They've got natural style strengths. They've got motivators. They've got personal skills and you just want to pay attention to the fit. That's what my book is all about. Look for matches in strengths and motivators when hiring in addition to background and experience. Look for the fit. When you can as a leader and you understand those six motivators, go back and look at that list. Even if you don't have assessments, start watching people. You can't necessarily read motivators, but if you pay attention to the six list of the six motivators and you watch someone and get to know where they get most energized, they're the person who always stands at the meeting and says, we have to follow the procedure. Starts to give you a hint as to what, what drives them. Make assignments when you can to match their drivers, their top motivators. It will make a big difference. And it will help them stay committed and energized to the work. And don't forget, there's a lot of ROI in this focus. And any time you would spend or money you would spend on assessments or any time you would spend thinking about what different motivators are and drivers for people, leaders who do this, according to real Gallup research tied to the bottom line, they're 86% more successful than leaders who don't. And teams that work based on their strengths and motivators have 38% higher more higher productivity and 44, 44% greater customer service scores. So big benefit business-wise. And just in final closing, you have gifts. Your people have gifts. And those gifts and those talents matter. Help everyone around you Become more aware of their own gifts. Hire and manage based upon them, and you're going to create a happy, motivated, and productive team of people who own their jobs and contribute their talents generously. So that is the end of our podcast today. Our next podcast will probably be around this topic. I am hoping to get an interview with one of the movers and shakers in the motivation world. And so I'll get back to you on that. I'm also getting ready to head out this coming weekend to the Association National Association of Talent Development Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. That's next weekend. I'm excited about that. So if I get some good content from that conference. I will be sure to share that on the next podcast. The show notes for this podcast are at pricelessprofessional.com slash more motivators two, and that's the number two. If you'd like to reach out to me, I can be found at Susie, S-U-Z-I-E at pricelessprofessional.com. Hit the no note, show notes and there'll be my phone number and all my contact information as well as information about downloading the app. If you want to get the free app on your iPad or iPhone for the podcast, the Wake Up Your Workforce podcast, you can get that. That way you automatically know when new episodes are loaded. And that's it for today. I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions or comments or want to do a complimentary consultation, give me a shout. We'll see you at the next episode. Thanks for being you and being a part of this process and being a part of the Wake Up Eager Workforce audience. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 